Would you please join me in prayer? Lord, what a privilege it is to cease from our work this day and gather together as your people and to be fed by your word and sacrament, your amazing grace. And I pray that as we look at this well-familiar passage this day, that you would renew our minds, O Lord, and transform us so that we might be your people this day and glorify you. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. My high school got hit twice by a tornado six years apart. We couldn't believe it. 1973, it was a humid day in April, late April, and the whole south wing of W.T. Woodson High School got destroyed by an awful tornado. The seniors, you know, that were about to graduate were bemoaning how they had to get up early in the morning and worship, worship, study at another school from 6 in the morning to 12, and the other school had to go from 12 to 6. God bless Oakton High School. But my senior year, the second day of school, September 4th, 1979, another one hit. It snapped off the football stadium lights, so we didn't play a night game my whole senior year. But it hit Carol Servey's house and destroyed it. And this whole group of houses beyond Woodson High School. A tornado sounds like a train engine. You can't mistake it. And the sight of it is pretty unbelievable. And the power is absolutely tremendous. How should Christians look at tornadoes? How should Christians look at storms? This text is telling us, not like anyone else, out there on the street... The world might say, well, Christianity is a way of behaving. Of course, our lives are different from the world, but it's so much more than that. Christianity is a way of being, and therefore it's also a way of seeing. It gives you truths you don't just look at. Yes, we have great doctrine and we study it, But Christianity, vital Christianity, tells you not only are you supposed to believe these truths, but you also see the world through these truths. And when you put them on like reading glasses, this blurry world of ours becomes crystal clear. The truth we're looking at today is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the storm. And not only do we have to look at the truth, we have to look at the world through the truth. And when we look at the world through this truth, we will never be the same. So I invite you to look at the Gospel reading with me and your inserts. For this passage teaches us that Jesus, God in the flesh, is holy, He's powerful, and He is our Lord and Teacher. He is holy, He is powerful, And he's our Lord and teacher. Let's look at this. First, Jesus is holy. 
If you carefully view this passage, you will recognize that the disciples aren't terrified until Jesus appears. They're concerned. They're struggling in the storm. We know certainly from the other gospel lessons that Jesus saw them toiling out there. He sent them out there. They couldn't make it in, but there's no talk of them being terrified until Jesus shows up. Why aren't they terrified till Jesus shows up? Because when he shows up, he's walking on water. He's showing them that he is supernatural. They're in the presence of someone from somewhere else. And because of that, they react in terror because that's the natural human response to the supernatural. So what does Jesus do? He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, he does not actually say, it is I. He says, don't be afraid. In the Greek, ego emi, I am. It's translated, it is I, because that would sound strange to our 21st century ears. But that's not really saying. He's saying, don't be afraid, I am. We know of another I am, right? In Exodus, Moses, at the burning bush, God tells him, Moses, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. I will reveal my name to you, which is Yahweh. I am, because he's saying, I'm not like anyone else you've ever seen. I have no beginning and no end. There's, I don't change. I'm perfect. I need nothing. I'm dependent on nothing. I'm the unique God. I am self-sufficient. I am the Holy One. And Moses grasped that reality and fell on his face. The disciples hear Jesus say, Do not be afraid. I am. And in the boat, they fell on their faces. They hit the deck. They're terrified. See, because he's revealing himself as the transcendent Holy One. As the supernatural God. Not as a nice guy teacher. Not as a person full of God consciousness. But rather, I am God in the flesh. This is the normal response to the holy. We react with ambivalence, an approach avoidance response. It means on the one hand there's an attraction and on the other hand there's a repulsion. The Bible is much more profound in talking and giving us examples of this approach avoidance response. Rudolf Otto, the great scholar, calls this numinous awe. The approach avoidance response. I want to be near God, but not so much. I'm afraid of being near God. We see this in the scripture. Isaiah chapter 6. God gives him the vision where the train of the robe fills the temple. And what is Isaiah's response? I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. 
Peter, fishing all night, can't catch a thing. Jesus sends him out. Cast your nets over the other side of the boat. All these fish jump in the nets. What's Peter's response? Does he even look at the fish? He falls down on his face and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He's experiencing numinous awe. He's in the presence of the holy. We don't quite fully understand it, but we all know it's true. The Bible gives us a coherent explanation. The explanation is that there's two layers of our souls. The first layer was laid down by God. He built us for the garden and He made us to walk with Him in the cool of the day. And that means our souls are built to relate to the Lord like a moth relates to light. The way a bee relates to a flower. The way a beached fish relates to the water. We want to get back in. We yearn for the face of God. But on the other hand, the other layer is the fact is we're relational and our relationship begins with our personal freedom. We decided to live our lives independent of God and we decided to live unto ourselves. Because we've decided to live in that way, we become traumatized by the holy because we want to be our own creators. You see this in any bookstore you go to. You guys ever been to a bookstore lately? We all buy on Amazon. But all these ideologies say create your own reality. You can be whatever you want to be. Be your own creator. I want to be my own God. So that when we get in the presence of the real creator, it's like be awakened in the middle of sleepwalking. Any sleepwalkers here? You wake them up and they're terrified. We sense our weakness, we sense our dependence, and we don't want to believe it. And that's the second layer, you see? You see it when you get near somebody who's a lot better at things than you are. Someone who's more perfect than you are. Someone who's more talented and gifted than you are. You want to be near them at the same time. You hate them. Because they show you up. But it's worse with the holy. Why do you think so many people are actually searching, seeking God in our culture, and yet when they get near them, they step back? Because if I give myself to Him, maybe He won't come through. Maybe He'll disappoint me. Maybe He'll embarrass me. You see, on the one hand, we want Him. On the other hand, we want to keep total control of our life guess what? You can't. We can't give up control. And therefore, we can't have him. But here's the solution. Will you see the one you need in the boat to take you to the shore, the loving, gentle, and lowly God in Jesus Christ is holy. The holy person is someone who demands your perfection, demands your purity, demands your flourishing, wants to see you change, wants to see you grow, for any real love is a holy love. A love that says, oh, I don't want to bother you. 
A love that says, I just want you to be happy as you are. A love that never wants to, you to be upset with them. That's codependency. Real love intervenes. Real love confronts. Therefore, real love is a holy love. In other words, you need holy Jesus in your life's boat. You need a God who's loving, but who's holy, who will confront you, who will challenge you, will intervene, who will look you in the eye and say, these things need to change. You need to give up control. And that's the reason why some are afraid to let him in their life's boat. I want him, but how can I keep control? The answer is you can't. Because he's holy. Second, Jesus is powerful. The psalm that we prayed, did you catch it today? We read, the voice of the Lord, the God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Jesus is saying, I am that God. When you hear the thunder, that thunder is powerful, but that power is on loan from me. So what's a hurricane to me? What's a tornado to me? It's just a drop of water. It's just a little breath of wind. Therefore, I have power over the destruction. I have power over death. I have power over disorder. And not only does he have power over the external universe, he has power over the internal universe of my life. These guys are scared. It's pretty traumatic. I mean, it's anywhere between 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning. They've been rowing all night. And as they get in the presence of the holy, they sense their own creatureliness their own weakness and how small they really are. So what does he do? It's me. Don't be afraid. I am. And he can reveal himself to you in such a way that it can deal with the storm on the inside of you as well as the storm on the outside of you. He's saying you have me in your life. And no matter how turbulent and tangled up things are, how stormy things are, I am Lord of the storm. I can bring beauty where there's tremendous ugliness. Do you ever look at your life or at somebody else's life and say, it's too tangled up in knots? Jesus says, I have a divine comb. I got this. I am Lord over the disorder. I'm Lord over the turbulence. I'm Lord over the chaos of the storm. Not only the external storm, but the internal storm. Take me in. Jesus is the God of power who can change even a weak vessel like me. And last and third, Jesus is your Lord and teacher. The fact that Jesus is the Lord of the storm tells us He's holy and tells us He's powerful. And it also tells us that He puts us through the storms 
so he can demonstrate he's Lord of our lives and he teaches us something every step of the way in the midst of the storm. Mark 6, when Jesus talks about this particular incident, it makes it pretty clear that he's just sending them into the storm. (laughs) It's quite a contrast because in the early part of this chapter, Jesus just stuffed their faces. But now, they're bereft of his visible presence. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, there will be times in which he apparently will be sending you into danger, into places where he seems to be absent. Don't be startled by that. He's our merciful teacher. He knows what he's doing. So the first thing is don't be startled by the fact that your life has certain storms within it. And he also wants to teach us that within that storm, he's sovereign over it. Notice he's walking on the water to them. He doesn't say, don't be afraid, fellows. I know the weather forecast. It's going to be over soon. No. Some of us deal with storms that way. We say, this soon will pass. Every cloud has a silver lining. When you talk to yourself like that, don't believe it. And please don't say that to someone else. That's just cold comfort. Jesus Christ never minimizes the storms that we're going through. He will maximize himself within that storm. Instead, Jesus says, take heart, it is I. He says, I want you to see you who I am. I want you to see me as the great I am of your life. That's how you deal with the storm. Do you know how often around the church we talk about idols, good things that become ultimate things, right? So imagine those, an idol is anything that we, we worship above God and we bow down to it. It's the center of our lives. As a matter of fact, when storms hit, we climb into that idol. Right? Therefore, you know that's an idol. And so we build a little life raft out of that idol. So why does Jesus send storms into our lives? Well, these things we build our lives on and we think we're in charge. And he sends these storms into our lives to see how inadequate these little life rafts truly are. We climb in them. And look how often that's exactly what storms do. They reveal how weak these life rafts truly are. Look at the story of Job. Satan approaches God and says... He's got this amazing family. He's got this amazing wealth. You take it all, he's got great health. Take him all away, he will curse you. And if you look carefully in the book of Job, what happens is God sends those storms. He takes away his family. He takes away his business. And he takes away his health. And though Job struggles tremendously, in the end, Job allows the Lord into his boat. And he says, all right, Lord, your, your smile is what I'll live for. Your word is what I'll live for. Your riches are what I'll live for. And as a result, he flourishes, he's stable. 
and he climbs aboard the ship that can never sink. Look at the, the parable of the men who built two houses, one's on the rock and one's on the sand. How do you know what your real foundation is? Again, the storm, Jesus says. The storm comes, one of them will fall and one of them will stand. If we build our lives on our beauty, there's the storm of aging. If we build our lives on our career, there's the storm of inflation and recession. If we build our lives on pursuit of true love and romance, there's the storm of rejection. There's the storm of singleness. There's the storm of no dates. You see, the storms show us our foundation and what kind of lifeboat we have. Those storms show us what we are really trying, what we're relying on to hold us up. Jesus wants us to know us unstable people that we can climb into his boat. Of course, we, we won't be in charge. But, you see, anybody can be the captain of their own boat. But if we let Jesus in and let him be the captain, we'll see how flourishing our lives can be. And not be afraid because He is the one who's in control. He is the great I Am. And here's one last thing. If we want Jesus to be our, our Lord and Teacher, we have to expect storms. And we have to see the purpose of the storms is to get us to see that He is God and we're not. That's what he deals with. That's how he deals with us. That's how he helped the apostles deal with the storm. And we have to realize that he will handle every storm differently. In Mark chapter 4, he stands up and just says, Peace, be still, and it's calm. You might be saying, Okay, I have a storm in my life right now. And occasionally he will say, peace, be still. And other times he's just going to help us persevere through that storm. But what we see in Peter's example, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we'll sink. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, he'll be with us throughout that storm. Sometimes you say, I'm not getting rid of the storm, to raise our level of maturity, to meet the storm. I'm going to show you how you can walk through it. But I'm not necessarily going to get rid of it. Sometimes we're calm, and sometimes Jesus brings fearful times into our lives. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes he just needs to wake us up to help us see what's deep within us to show us who we are and what we're relying on. Other times, He just will comfort us and calm us. See, He is holy and He is powerful and He is our Lord and Teacher. And He's out to make us what He really wants us to be in this world.
A person of joy, yet so empathetic. A person who's easily touched by grief. A person of courage and conviction. But at the same time, so approachable, so tender-hearted, so understanding and flexible. A person who's bold for the faith and yet humble. Loving and yet pure. We all want to be like that, don't we? Jesus Christ came and suffered not that we might not suffer, but when we suffer, we may become like Him, said great poet George MacDonald. We need to put ourselves in the hands of Jesus. So believing friends, during storms, the worst thing we can do is go down into the hold of the ship and take a nap. No, in the midst of the storm, hold on to the rudder, the steering wheel. And when the storm is over, you'll find if you've held on to the rudder, the wind will have gotten you closer to your destination than you've ever been before. Even if the storm had never come. What does that mean? The Lord calls that waiting on the Lord. Hold on to the rudder. He's got this. Trust in Him. Trust that He's powerful and trust that He's holy. It means don't give up. Don't go downstairs to the hold of the ship and take a nap and say, I can't handle this anymore. No. You trust and obey and do the next thing. And we'll see where He takes us. But if there's anybody here this morning who says, I don't know if this is true for me. I don't know if I'm I'm a Christian this way at all. Here's what you have to do. Admit that you're as helpless to please God as those apostles were in the boat. The only way they could get to the other shore was not through their own rowing. Not through their own toil. Their own efforts weren't enough. No, they had to take in the one who is holy, who is powerful. Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is the Holy One. Take Him in completely to your life, all of your life, and say, I'm scared. I know this means I'll lose control, but you're my Lord and you're my King. It's the only way that I'll ever get to the shore. By prayer, Lord, help me to wrestle and let you take control. And as I do so, with Christ in the vessel, I can smile at even the storm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the table today, all we ask that as we go to confession, we'll see you, that only you can make us holy. As we come to the table, uh, Jesus Christ is our refuge from the storm. We cannot make it to the shore without what you, Lord Jesus, have done for us upon the cross. And so now we rest on that atoning work for us. And we ask that you would help us to appropriate that. And as we receive the bread and receive the cup, help us to live for you. Help us to relive that act for us 
and form yourself in us afresh this day. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.